Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge where I have with me voice actor Jay Hickman who has voiced several characters including Joichiro Yukihara from Food Wars, TT392 from Flip Flappers, Todoka in My Hero Academia, you know he's the camera guy everybody, Hiroku in Black Bullet, Krusty from Log Horizon which I love, and Borkus from Broken Blade and Mythos from Princess Tutu to name a few. So thank you for being on. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, I am super stoked because you have a wide range of characters you have voiced over the last 20 years or so. And so I'm very curious how you initially got involved in voice acting in that entire industry. It's a fun story. I've told it a time or two across the circuit, but I'm sure there's still some people who haven't heard, and I'm glad to share it once again. So I started with an acting background, like a theater, pretty much. Starting in middle school, I started to get somewhat interested in stage productions, and so I would sign up for some of those through school, and and that continued throughout high school. I got more serious about it. I discovered it appeared to be a good way to meet girls, and that was very interesting to me. So I was pretty keen to uh, audition for anything that came along that might put me on the stage and this continued in college and a couple years into college I was finding I was far more interested in kind of performing than I was studying for biochemistry which was actually my major so that presented a small problem in terms of the grades and everything so I was encouraged to take a little time off from studying at college to kind of get my head on straight and the plan retrospective I guess but some might argue the plan backfired because what I did was I went out and I got a job as a singing waiter at a restaurant that featured singing waiters in Houston, Texas, and had a blast. So I was making bank, as they say, in the service industry, and also getting a chance to perform and meeting many fellow performers in the Houston market. And a couple of them kind of encouraged me to look into getting an agent that I might get acting work beyond the stage. So TV commercials, possibly the occasional film production that might roll through Houston, what they call industrial training films, and you know maybe even a little voiceover work for radio commercials, maybe also TV commercials. So I did get an agent. I started working with some regularity on-camera stuff. It was mostly local commercials, and occasionally a film production company did roll through Houston for the sake of a good setting or tax breaks or what have you. So I got a chance to you know have some experience there. And after a year or so of doing some on-camera work, my agent was like, you know, we also have a voiceover division. Did you consider doing any of that? And I was like, I'd love to. And so I started doing some voice work for local commercials, some training films, that sort of thing, and was really enjoying it. To skip ahead a little bit, I ended up going back to school. I finished my degree. I did the responsible thing. All that was good and well. But in the meantime, I was on a several year detour doing all this singing and acting stuff. And again, just having the time of my life. And so at some point in there, I'm able to sustain myself just performing for a few years stretch there. And during that period, I had a girlfriend who was also a very talented performer. And I am leafing through our local alternative weekly newspaper. It's called the Houston Press. And on the back page of the Houston Press is the one ads. And scanning the one ads, I found an advertisement looking for actors to do voice acting basically for cartoons. And I was like, that's amazing. This is right up my alley. Even before I was acting as a professional, as a kid, I loved 
cartoons, cartoon voices. You know, I would do endless impressions with my friends. We would all do our best droopy dog or whatever, and just had endless fun with that and dreamed of a day when maybe just maybe I could be the guy doing that sort of thing. Like how amazing would that be? So I see this ad and I'm like, this is fantastic. And I call this number and it rings and rings and it goes to a voicemail. And I leave a voicemail with my name and number and appropriate information and hang up and never got a call. Nothing ever came of it. So, oh, well, whatever. I've got other stuff I can be doing. No big deal. Another month or so passes and the same ad or a very similar ad appears in the back of the Houston press. And so I'm like, oh, this thing again, I would still like to do this. Might as well give them another try. Maybe someone will answer. Ring, 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 goes to voicemail. I leave my name and number one more time. Nothing ever happens. Never get a call. So another month or so goes by. And this is the part where I'm at my girlfriend's place. Breakfast time. We're at the breakfast table as she is leafing through the paper, comes to the back page and very excitedly says, oh my gosh, there's an ad here for uh, um, uh, voice actors for cartoons. This would be perfect for you. I'm like, oh yeah, that thing. I'm pretty sure I called them and it evidently wasn't meant to be. So I might just let that go. She's like, well, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. Third time lucky, maybe I've given up on that one. She's like, well, I think I'm going to call them. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you should. You should absolutely give them a call by all means. So right there in front of me, she picks up the phone, dials the number. Ring, 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 ring. Uh, Yes, hello? Yes, hi? Yeah, I'm calling about the ad, about the voice. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. That'd be great. This Friday? This Friday is good? Two o'clock? Hold on. Yeah, two o'clock is great. What is your, what is your address? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. And just park anywhere? Great. And what would I need to bring or prepare? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, good. So Friday, two o'clock. Yes. Here's my name and number if you need to call me. Uh-huh. Great. Excellent. Well, then I'll see you this Friday. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. My boyfriend is here and he is amazing at voices and voice acting and stuff. And so I, w- oh, oh no. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Well, great. Then we'll see you Friday. Okay. Bye. Click. So there I am wondering what in the world just happened. And so she was like, this is so exciting. I've got an audition for Friday at two. I'm like, that does sound exciting. She's like, I asked about you and they said they weren't auditioning any guys. They only wanted actresses. I'm like, oh, well, what can you do? I guess. She's like, so I have no experience with this. No idea what I'm doing. Would you please come with me to the audition? I'm like, sure, of course, boyfriend of the year, I will accompany you to the audition. So Friday rolls around. We got the address. We drive up. Turns out this is the offices of ADV Films, a name that might ring a bell for you from the olden days, of, uh, English language anime in the United States. And we walk in and there's a waiting room and it's like most waiting rooms you'd imagine. And there are chairs all around the perimeter of the room and there are people sitting in many of the chairs and there's a production assistant walking around with a clipboard. So we're ushered into some chairs and the production assistant shows up at some point with the clipboard and stops in front of my girlfriend. She's like, hi, you are. And so they exchange information. She gets handed some audition scripts and given a breakdown of the characters she was auditioning for. And then the production assistant whisks away off to another room. So I'm going over the audition scripts with my girlfriend. I'm giving her an idea of what to expect. We kind of go over some lines together. I say, you're great. You're going to do great. And so she gets called back to the audition room and she's gone for
for like 10 minutes. And so somewhere in the midst of that period, the production assistant is going around the room again with the clipboard and stops in front of me and says, I'd meant to ask before, are you auditioning? I'm like, no, not me. And she's like, had you wanted to? Were you expecting to? I'm like, oh my God, that would have been great. But uh, apparently I was not able to kind of get in through the proper channel. She's like, well, they're actually running a little bit ahead today. And so there might be a little extra time. If you'd be interested, maybe we could squeeze you in. I'm like, oh my gosh, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to. She's like, great. Give me your name and all the stuff. So I'm on the list now. My girlfriend comes back. We swap some stories. I tell her the amazing news. And then minutes later, I'm called back. And so I go back into the audition room. I meet the director and the sound engineer. And I'm auditioning for a scene from Dirty Pair, I'm pretty sure. And so we go through that several times and it felt like it went well. Seems smooth enough. And they say, thanks very much. And off I go. And about a week later, I got a call from them to say that they wanted me to come in for a teeny tiny part in a anime they're working on called Master of Mosquiton. And the part was British Soldier B. But it was very important that he be British. The fact that I had a British accent on my resume possibly helped. And so I did this. I had like literally a line and a half. It was great. Directors seemed to enjoy it. And I signed all the documents they needed and off I went. And then another couple of weeks went by and they called me back for another small part for a slightly bigger show and so on and so on. And so it slowly built from there where I got to do a few roles for one director and then they were growing and they got another director and I was introduced to that director and got to do a little something just to get my rapport built with that guy. And it slowly went from there to where they were growing rapidly by the late 90s. They had several directors and I was working for almost all of them on at least some project or another. And that is the story of how I got started. As a quick denouement, my girlfriend, who had gotten the audition through all the proper channels, never got called. But a few years later, we got married. So there's that. So we had that going for us, which is nice. That's arguably the best marriage story that's ever going to be on this podcast, Uh by far, (laughs) by far. I have to say, because that's just Wonderful. That's amazing in so many ways. As a second denouement, a couple years in with ADV Films, my girlfriend and I are now engaged. And the sound engineer I'm working with, he was like, oh, by the way, we're trying to cast this other show. It's called Fräulein of the Galaxy, something like that. The word Fräulein, Galaxy, and Yuna is in the title somewhere, regardless of the order. So anyway, he's like, it's a very actress-heavy show. And one of the characters is the galactic diva. She's a big singer. And so we need to cast someone who's really got some vocal chops. And your fiancé sings with the opera, right? I'm like, yeah, she sure does. He's like, so would she be at all willing to maybe come in and do this part for us? And I'm like, I will certainly ask her. So I did, and she was kind of reluctant, especially given how she had not been called from the audition. She's like, I doubt I'm what they're after. I'm like, the sound engineer who's doing this show seems to think you're what they're after. So why don't you give it a try? So I think it was a deal where they were just going to have her do the part, like no audition needed. I don't know how the sound engineer knew about her vocal chops, but maybe my word was enough. I don't know. So anyway, she went in and did the part and came home. And I was like, how'd it go? She's like, oh my God, it was awful. So, so bad. A few days later, I had a session and asked the sound engineer how it went. 
he's like, it was amazing. She's so good. I'm like, great. That's good. So two months afterward, and at the time, part of our arrangement for providing voices was we all got a copy. At the time, it was a VHS copy of everything we did. And so I was in the studio doing a session and sound engineer shows up, hands me a videotape. He's like, this is for your fiance. This is her uh, thing. I'm like, oh, awesome. So I took it home. I'm like, great news. Here's your thing. And she's like, please, please burn that immediately. I do not want to see it. And indeed, she never did. I watched it, though, and thought she was great. So she's got a very high standard for herself. And let's talk a little bit about what I like to refer to, because those days are the Wild West in the voice acting world, where everything was kind of being done for the first time in America. And you just mentioned VHSs. I don't remember the last time I saw a VHS. So what was that like? Because the three-beep system was still in place, and it was being projected on the wall, and everything was being sort of brought over in piecemeal. It was at the time I joined up, they had been at it for at least a couple years before I made the scene here in Houston. But by the time I joined up, it seemed to me, based on you know my limited experience with just doing voice work in a studio, occasionally for TV commercials, like it would be rare that I would see video just doing regular commercials and such. The voice came first, and then everything else was kind of slapped together later or separately. But based on my experience and my expectations, it seemed pretty slick. So what the arrangement was, was typically standard voice booth. There's glass panel leading into the engineering booth. And just off to the side is a video monitor to show the video of the anime in question. And then a music stand with a thick script on it. And so ADV, I do not recall any time back to when I started that they did the three beep system. Basically, it would be up to the actor to just pay attention to what was going on the screen. So we would watch the scene once through. We'd get a sense of here's where your character comes in. Like here's what's happening on screen a second or two seconds before your character starts talking. We'll take a look at that. Let's take a look at the mouth flaps. You've got your script in front of you so you can see what he's about to say. We can practice it. But it was kind of up to us to kind of be aware of what was happening on the screen and to know when the character was coming in and then to get kind of close. It did not need to be seamless or amazingly precise because the sound engineer could then just come in and nudge us to the left or to the right. The technology whereby they could speed us up or slow us down without changing the pitch had not yet arrived, but they could pretty easily kind of move us back to the left or right. And so that was usually sufficient to have a pretty seamless and efficient process. I can't speak for every single actor that came through, but for me, it wasn't too, too hard. And Every scenario varied, particularly with matching mouth flaps, as they say, and making sure that the dialogue made sense and that it fit with the motion of the mouth on the screen. That could be sometimes challenging depending on who had done the translating and who had then written the English version of the script. And there are always some little variances in there, but the directors that I worked with were all really good and kind of great on the fly. And so if we came across a line that just did not look like it was matching up at all, we would start by the director would say okay would you mind trying that exactly as written a hair slower four percent slower five percent slower or would you mind trying that five percent faster let's see if that'll help and if it did great if it didn't we would do some rewrites there on the spot i would have a pencil directors like cross out these three words write in these five words instead and i would and we would try that and that would work or maybe we needed one more syllable and pretty quickly we could get to a point where we'd made it work and we're moving on and so from the get 
get-go, it was what seemed to me like a pretty user-friendly experience. And it wasn't too long before the music stands and paper scripts went away. And suddenly there were two monitors in front of me. And one of them had a Microsoft Word document on it with all of the script cues. And right next to it was the video monitor. So that was a benefit because now I was able to look up. And at my same eye level, I could see the words I'm supposed to say. And I'm supposed to see the video directly next to it. Instead of looking down at my script, which is kind of at chest level and then a foot above that is the monitor so it made that a little more seamless and now we're going to jump a little bit out of the 90s and i want to get into 2000s and i want to talk about some of your bigger roles let's do it and get out of the technical side for a little bit we're going to come back to it with black bullet and i'm just giving the teaser for everybody to entice them but 2002 saw you in excel saga as Toru Wananatabi. And I love his character, and that show is interesting, and it's got a little bit of everything. It was from an eccentric director in Japan, and it did very well in the U.S. So what was that like? Because that was kind of one of your big first roles. You're right, it was. And it was, you know, so exciting because I was semi-aware of this show kind of as I was being cast and I did not know Toru Watanabe terribly well. He's a, you know, supporting characters as many who know the show would know, but I knew there were some big names assigned to play Excel herself and her good friend Hyatt. And Jason Douglas as Lord El Palazzo. They're like some impressive actors carrying the show. And so I was like, wow, this is exciting to be a part of. And so the first introduction to Watanabe is that he is a very disgruntled character, unless he's around Hyatt, in which case he's all puppy dog eyes, but around pretty much every other character, including his roommates with whom he has to spend most of his time. He's just disgruntled and angry all the time and yelling a lot. And so this was, as you said, one of my first kind of larger roles and I'm showing up in the booth and my first lines are like yelled lines and the director is like yeah it needs to be louder like he's real mad real real mad I'm like okay yelling a little loud he's like yeah I need I need more anger from him like he's at 11 on the angry scale I'm like oh man so I'm in the booth for this character yelling just like 80% of the time and an hour into my session I'm like do you guys have any lemon tea and honey or anything like that I'm dying over here at some point I'm starting to think like is this what it's like when you have a bigger role in an anime like you can barely make it through an hour and as it turns out that was not the case it was very particular to this character but i came better prepared for my future sessions with some vocal warm-ups i brought my own plastic bear-shaped bottle of honey hot water all that stuff and we got through it just fine and as we were getting further and further into the series i was really coming to enjoy the plot arc particularly how toru and his buddies were involved obviously it starts pretty silly and it gets even sillier and it was all really really fun stuff and so as they progress there's more for those guys to do those supporting characters to be involved and have some fun with it and as memory serves he evolved to not be quite so angry so there wasn't quite as much yelling as we proceeded some loud projection was important but not quite as much kind of larynx shredding screaming that was necessary so definitely had fun with that one and got a kick out of seeing people's reaction to that show and another show that took place around this time that you were involved in was Saint Seiya slash Knights of the Zodiac as right. Dragon Shiru. Shiru, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? Because Saint Seiya has a weird history in Japan, and it did well in America, from my understanding. Yeah. 
That was my understanding too. That was a great one. I don't think it was the first, but it was among the first shows that I worked on with Kyle Jones, who is a staple for ADV and now Sentai. It was also a first in terms of just this kind of show that was so epic, just in terms of its history, its reputation, and the sheer volume of episodes. I had never worked on a series before that had, I want to say there were 120 episodes. So there was nothing of even close to that skill that I'd worked on. I think pretty much everything had been 22, 24 episodes. And so I was suitably prepared or counseled going in like, this is a big one and your character is a big one. And this is one of those fighting boy shows where you guys will be involved in some deadly combat and the fight lasts the entire episode. It just doesn't stop. So you're fighting and fighting and fighting. And that came with its own special challenges whereby you are conveying all of the characters one and needs and motivations through grunts and screams and kicking Foley rather than dialogue. And there was plenty of dialogue as well and pretty good stuff. But yeah, it was great experience. I think there's one episode or maybe a two episode arc where Green Dragon Shiryu comes up against his evil universe doppelganger who's a black dragon. And I voiced the black dragon as well with some vocal effects layered over it. And so I got to act opposite myself in that one. That was good fun. And there was just lots of really over the top fighting boy genre anime stuff to deal with there. And it was great steady work. I was going in to record that weekly for months and months and really pleased with the final product. And one of the cool things about this anime is that 16 years later, Netflix remade it and you got to play a very small character in the Netflix remake. Yes. So what was that like getting to return to that property? Not exactly in the traditional sense, but still getting to return and be involved. Yeah, I was certainly pleased to be asked back. And the fact that it was going to be on Netflix was obviously an exciting thing. I think any time that the work we do or the product we create can be kind of shared with a broader audience, it's certainly very exciting for us. And just the mere fact that Netflix has taken an interest, which would indicate that they feel like... Like they have a growing audience of viewers and subscribers who would want to see these anime properties is an exciting thing as we consider a trend of how popular anime is here stateside. And so if that's any indication, that's a very exciting thing for me and I'm sure many, many of my colleagues to know that it is becoming more mainstream and becoming more popular. And it's an exciting prospect for us that the thing we already love to do anyway, it could be seen by and appreciated by more people. So that aspect of it was neat. And I thought the treatment of it, the first thing I was in the computer generated animation was an interesting treatment. And then as I'm sure you know, they've also just gone back to the traditional animation and are redoing that as well. So they've got all their bases covered, I think. And now to talk about a show that is probably the exact opposite of these two shows, and that's Princess Tutu. And this is my mom's favorite anime. It's the only anime she's ever watched, partially on my recommendation. And you play a pretty important character in this show with Mythos. I believe the favorite pronunciation is Muto, of all things. At least that's how I came to know him. But yeah, remarkable anime and extremely interesting character. This was fairly early on in my relationship with another director, Jin Ho Chung. 
who I'd worked with on a couple of things before this came along and he was talking to me as like, so I've got this show here and I'm really interested in having you do this character of the fairy tale prince. Here's his deal. Here's what he looks like. Here's what the Japanese actor who voices him sound like. And I was watching and listening. I was like, are you sure that I'm the guy for the job? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And so you have to place your trust in your director. And particularly in this case, I had a working relationship with Jin and definitely trusted him and was really appreciative of the rapport that we had built already and what I saw he was capable of in the directing booth for shows we had done before. So I didn't question his judgment maybe as much as my ability to give him what he thought I could give him for this character because it was definitely a huge departure from anything I had done before. He is very soft-spoken. He's a teenage fairy tale prince. He's pitched very high and he came with an added challenge challenge that in the story, as you may know, maybe not everyone does, he is pretty much at the beginning almost completely emotionless. So he gets broken out of this storybook magically, brought to the quote, real world magically. And in the process, his heart is shattered into a hundred heart shards or something like that. And so he shows up in the real world, quote, without his heart. He obviously clearly has a functioning circulatory system, but emotionally his heart is gone. So he cannot convey emotion until Princess Tutu, who is his knight in shining armor, basically, is slowly one by one finding these heart shards that have broken into fragments and flown off across the land. She is finding these shards and returning them to him, at which point he will get a small sliver of his emotional capacity back. And so each heart shard represents one pure emotion. And I think early on the heart shards are loneliness or guilt or despair, stuff like that. And so one by one, he's getting his heart shards back. And so in episode two, he's completely emotionless, except now he's got one heart shard back and it's the one of loneliness. And so I am having to portray this character as completely flat emotionally, except with 1% loneliness. And so a few episodes in, I'm having to portray a character who is completely emotionally flat, except 1% loneliness, 1% guilt, 1% despair, 1% mirth, and 1% suspicion. And so I'm delivering a line and I'll ask Jin, like, how is that? Was there enough loneliness in that one? He was like, try another half percent loneliness and then I think you'll have it. So that was obviously something we giggled over, but a remarkable challenge in terms of laying the emotional groundwork for a character to then go on and do the things he needs to do to advance the story. So I'd never experienced anything like that before or since, frankly. But at the end of it, it was just so gratifying to have been a part of that show and to watch it. The score is incredible. The animation was great. The cast that I got to work with was absolute top notch and just a beautiful, beautiful story. It was just so fulfilling to get to be even a small part of bringing that to life for English speaking audiences. And to even talk further about that, because in many ways, since this character was so different, it really provided a ground for you to grow as a voice actor and there's a few characters that i think were built off of this to some degree such as karama from elfin line and lg sagnia from ease otherwise which are more sociopathic characters so what was this entire experience like of really getting that experience to learn how to build a character because princess tutu is that type of show that would allow you to do that 
the anime genre certainly is very special as a subcategory of voice acting in general, whereby the people that are heavily involved in voice acting are actors at their foundation. And so many of them came to it like I did through other media. And so we're actors from the start, but when you get into the booth and it's time to bring a character to life on the screen, you are relegated to only what you can accomplish with your voice or other sort of vocal effects, obviously with grunting and screaming is appropriate, but different from how you might bring a character to life on the stage or how you might bring a character to life on screen, you don't have the benefit of body language or facial expression or nonverbal cues. It's entirely what you can do with your voice that brings the character to life in this particular genre. And so from the get-go with my first role, long before Prince Muto, I was learning about that transition. And every role brought an opportunity to understand that a little bit better and a little bit better, particularly as the roles were so varied in terms of the part they play in the plot, their relationship with the other key characters, their kind of emotional needs, wants, or hangups. And so each character brought an opportunity for me to go, okay, so this is what's needed from me in order to bring this character to life. And as with other characters that you might play in other venues like stage or TV, obviously, ideally, you're looking for some kind connection to the character that you can have personally. And thankfully, there's not a lot I can say I have in common with a absolute evil psychopath that I might play as a character, but you're looking for other connections, like what drives them, what is motivating them to do what they do. Do they have a sick relative that needs their help and they're going to ridiculous lengths to help them? Like they're going further than anyone reasonably should or maybe legally should to help them, but at the heart of it, they're doing it for a sick relative. Like, do I have anything in my past that I can relate to there? Yes, maybe. And so you're looking for those sorts of connections. And so as you get into these different types of characters, each one brings something new that you can kind of draw on and, and add to your repertoire of ability, particularly voice acting ability that you can call upon later. So Muto and Chief Karama were voice-wise extremely different. Their ages were different. The sorts of relationships they had were different. Chief Karama is quite emotionally detached. And so certainly I had this kind of tool in my toolbox now that I could draw upon but I think it's a rarity for me to get in the booth, meet a new character, and then think back and say, this character shares a lot of traits with another character I did maybe a year ago. I wonder how I can draw upon that old character to give life to this new character. That's a rarity. What will happen more often is that two characters look exactly alike, and I'll just whimsically make note of that. But each time, for me at least, I'm looking for a novel experience in terms of bringing life to a certain character. And so I will want to get to know them as best I can. I will ask the director all the questions I can. And sometimes they have some background information to give to me. Sometimes they don't. I think in the case of simul dubs or dub casts, the director will only be maybe one episode ahead of his or her actors. And so there's not much they can share other than what's in the script. And I get to read the script myself. And so I'll learn what I can about what drives the character so that I can deliver for them something that is genuine, honest, and emotionally compelling. And now to contradict these types of shows with another show that happened a little later and closer to 2020, you are a cat, 
named Tama in Nankoy. So what was that like? Because that's completely outside of left field here, in my opinion, of your traditional roles. Did not expect it when I was researching it, to be honest. And then when I heard your voice in it, I fell in love with this show. Hugely fun show. Quite silly, but very, very funny. And Tama was... Very outside. Very outside. Quite novel. I had done a number of non-human characters before, mostly robots. But Tama was, as memory serves, and I would have to go back and scrub the old filmography, but I think Tama was my first animal character. And so that was novel. And starting there, Tama is quite flamboyant and just very unserious. And so it was huge fun. Just every session was kind of a laugh riot. We were obviously trying to move the story forward and not be ridiculous to the point that any character would be distracting, but you could tell this was a character you could have fun with just based on the animation. It was implicit that that was to be expected. And so we did. Had a lot of fun and I don't recall any right now, but yeah, some of the best lines I was able to deliver in a sound booth were through the mouth of that cat. And yeah, that started a proud tradition of other talking animals that I've been able to do since, much to my benefit. And another show that a lot of people know you from, and it's coming back for a third season, is Lock Horizon, where you voice Krusty. And that's just right. a great show across the board, the animation, the topic. I love MMORPG shows. I love them. And so what was that like and being a Sentai Films Work project, really? Another great one. This is a good time to pause and say I really can't think of a show off the top of my head that you might ask me about where my answer would not be, that was great. I have really positive experiences on most of them, but this one was fun. I really enjoyed the subject matter as well. As you've noted, there are other shows that kind of treat that same subject matter, but this one was done in a different way, and I think really in a smart way, an entertaining way. The characters are good. As you've noted, the animation is great. Storylines are interesting. And Krusty was one of those characters that he resonated with me, I think, on a number of levels. But I like that he's heroic. He doesn't strike you right off the bat as being that way. He's nerdy and some regards, but also super cool and capable in other regards. He's very snarky, which is a trait I enjoyed a lot in terms of playing. He seems to do pretty well with the ladies, which I thought was admirable. So that was a good part for me. And toward the end of the story arc that most people have seen, there's lots of mystery and intrigue and questions about what's up with Krusty. And so there was some built-in fan interest in terms of what had happened to him and where he's gone. And hopefully with the third season, we'll get some questions answered. And now we're going to talk about Black Bullet, and you are Hiroku, and Hiroku's interesting as a character, but more importantly, his face doesn't move at all, from my understanding, and so we kind of have to talk about mouth flaps and matching the flaps and the speaking, so what was that experience like? Because that must be a very different experience than the traditional character that you play from a technical side, that's why we kind of tabled it before. So Kagatani certainly has a remarkable character in my history of anime characters. And I'll get to the technical side in a minute, but just from the standpoint of his persona, of his demeanor, and his individual story arc were all so unique to anything I had done before. He's up there in the top 10 easily, uh, maybe top five of characters I've ever done. And so going in, this was a scenario where the director and I got a chance to really take some time to develop him. And I was asked after getting to see him 
to come up with some ideas on what he might sound like. And we were able to kind of spend a few minutes to workshop it back and forth, but it was a really gratifying thing where I was given a lot of leeway and license to decide what he would sound like. And together we came up with this over-the-top super confident game show host type character who's also you know a murderous psychopath without spoiling it for people that haven't seen it he undergoes this character arc that is really interesting in terms of shifting allegiances and priorities and things like that and so that made him really really interesting as well the issue with his mask and the fact that you do not see his mouth move was a benefit certainly in terms of i got to be a little more free with pacing and expression like to be honest it wasn't too too different from how it might go with a character who is not wearing a mask there are very very few characters that you'll voice where you see their mouth up close like so close that from the corner of their mouth to the corner of their mouth that shape takes up most of the screen like you rarely get that close up on a character and if you do it's for a very very short period of time and then you're in a medium shot or you're in a long shot or their back is turned to you or their mouth is behind their hand or they're off screen and just about to come off screen. The animators of most anime already make it whereby there are several moments for any character in any anime where you don't see their mouth move anyway while they're talking. So with any character you'll do, you get some moments whereby the mouth is not on screen and so the pressure to match the lip flaps is not there as much. Occasionally you'll get these characters who have a mask or maybe they're telepathic. So, you know, you're hearing their dialogue, you don't see their mouth. And so that grants a little bit of additional license, which I welcome, but technically it wasn't too, too, too different from most other characters I've done. But emotionally speaking, and in terms of sheer entertainment, Kagatani was just through the roof. And I don't want to talk anymore about him because I love Black Bullet. I thought it was one of the best shows I've seen when it came out. And I want to talk about another show that I thought I was going to hate, and I loved it. And that was Um, Flip Flappers as TT392. And I did not expect what I expected going into it at all. I don't know what a person would expect going into that show. It was obviously, for anyone who knows anything about it, even having watched a trailer or seen some stills, like it is very otherworldly. It is rooted in some form of a reality as we might know it. And then there are obviously scenes that take place in this very surreal setting. It's one of those shows, it's just a wild ride. And the character I was cast in is a robot who with very few exceptions, does not speak words in English as we would know them. I've played a fair share of robots before, but many of them were kind of C-3PO type droids who speak with very clear diction, very obviously recognizable English with kind of a mechanical overlay. I'd done plenty of that stuff, but this is a robot that just beeps and occasionally screams in glee or whatever. And so John Swayze was the director for that one. I've known John for decades. And so he's like, I want you for this robot. I'm like, great, let's have a look at the dialogue he's like there's not really any dialogue you're just going to be beeping almost all the time I'm like fantastic let's get started and so it was a novel role for me in that like i was talking about before that your role as an actor is to bring this character to life and to give it some as appropriate emotional foundation through your words through the dialogue and there was all of the traditional tools i would normally have to bring a character to life on screen like that were just 
just not present with this character. And so the good news is he's a sidekick. And so he didn't have a very heavy burden on him in terms of advancing the story emotionally. But where I could, I did what I could to give him something a little bit more like behind the beeps and boops were real robot feeling. So I did what I could. But yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It was a really novel acting experience for me and a very novel viewing experience as an anime. And then the final role, and I know we're missing a bunch of them, and we have to talk about Kyle Jones, is Food Wars. And that show is amazing. Morgan Berry describes it as food porn, which is an accurate description of it. So what was that, getting called into that? And you have a very minor but important role in that show. Amazing show, as you've said. So entertaining. And I think the food port element of it is clearly present, but it is not, for me anyway, and I think a lot of other people I've spoken with, an overriding element of the show. It's kind of a shonen type story, and there are real character relationships that you grow to care about a lot. And I think the plot is interesting. The story arc is an interesting one. The settings are interesting. The food plays a huge role in the show. And what's so remarkable is the creators, both of the manga and the anime, really, really did their homework in terms of coming up with food ideas and dishes that were real and also just incredibly inspiring or tantalizing or delectable. So all of the dishes that are discussed in this show are real dishes that you can really make or at least attempt to because they're pretty advanced. We're in a universe of these just incredible world-class chefs who are whipping up these dishes that just make people dissolve in ecstasy, obviously. And any of us mere mortals could certainly attempt these dishes, as I believe, are almost all out there somewhere. And we might fail miserably, but you can at least attempt it because it's real stuff with real ingredients. And what the animators did to portray the end result of these dishes on screen is remarkable. As many, many people who watch the show have noted, how is it possible that anime food can look this good? And it really does look amazing. So that aspect of the show alone sets it apart. But for me, it was a really exciting thing to be part of. And, you know, Kyle Jones, as you mentioned, is the director on this one and he talked to me about it before I showed up in the booth he let me know that he was working on the show I can't remember what words he used exactly but whatever he said kind of conveyed pretty clearly to me that it was a big deal and special and important and so he said you're going to be playing the cool dad and I was like fantastic it's the role I was born to play and so I get in the booth and learn more about it Joichiro is indeed very cool and he is a again world class chef and he is the father of the key protagonist, Soma, who the viewers are following throughout the entire series. And as you noted, he's not on screen all that much, but it's very clear based on the way Soma will refer to him from time to time, or the way they interact together when they are on screen, or the way he'll be featured in flashbacks for Soma when he comes up against this challenge that he can't quite figure out. It is obvious this character is a major catalyst for Soma and Soma's development and the way he kind of pushes himself to get better and better you know it becomes pretty obvious that his father's influence in his life is a big part of that and so that's something i took very seriously anyone who watches the show will know and there's obviously parts of the show that are wacky and funny and so we had an opportunity to have some fun but at the same time this character joichiro is very serious about fostering and nurturing his son's talent 
and doing it in a way that Soma will never lose his passion for cooking and creating in the kitchen. And so he has his serious turns as well in, in the ways in which he encourages son to take bigger risks, take things more seriously, and really challenge himself. Gratifying character on so many fronts, and especially exciting when I learned it. We had recorded, I think, almost all of season one, if not all of it, when we learned that it was going to be on Toonami. And that just took it to a whole nother level. Like already the show was so good and so exciting. And kind of, again, like with the Netflix factor, whereby now this was going to be viewed by this broad audience of anime fans. So exciting. And the way that it appears to have been received by the majority of people has just been a really, really thrilling thing to be a part of. And there's a lot more to come for those who have not read the manga and have not seen Plate 4, I guess, subtitled version, for lack of a better word. You know, the story continues, but I don't want to dive into that to ruin anything for those who are following along with Toonami and how it's being released there. And so we're going to table it there, but I am very curious because you have been voice acting for, I think, almost 25 years, if not longer. What advice do you have for people who want to get into the booth and want to become voice actors and voice actresses and just act in general this is one of those things that is not easy but it is simple and so for the simple part there are two main pieces of advice and the first one is be an actor and i say that because there are so many people who maybe are fans of anime fans of voice acting see these shows fall in love with these shows maybe fall in love with characters and feel like that is something they would love to do and they may have been even told by friends that they've got a good voice and that it's a voice that would work well for voice acting or particularly maybe an anime character and on the converse there may be people who would love to be involved with creating anime or similar and don't think they have a good enough voice. And the key piece of advice is the quality of your voice is secondary. The primary element is your ability to act. And so my advice for people that want to get involved in voice acting is first, get involved in acting at any level in any venue. If you don't yet have experience being in a play, figure out a way to be in a play. So if it's through your school, try out for the play, college level. If you have a community theater nearby, usually those roles are not paid or they pay very, 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 very little, but you want the experience and you want a chance to be on a stage with other actors, interacting and learning how to bring a character to life. At the heart of it, that's what you need to know how to do if you want to be involved in voice acting. As I've described earlier, your job is to bring life to a character for a new audience. And so you can do that in many ways in many different media. And once you've got the fundamentals of acting, you can transfer them to other genres and other media. So that's the first bit of advice is learn to act. And also, obviously, there are classes. And so I would certainly recommend classes. Again, any acting class at all whatsoever, if it's acting for stage, if it's acting for the screen, if it's voice acting, increasingly technology allows us to get signed up for acting classes online 
remotely. You know, as long as you've got a webcam and you've got a decent microphone, maybe if it's even built in, whatever is built in as your internal mic might be good enough. It depends on the instructor. It would really be up to them. But in many cases, you can do this from the comfort of your home now where you can sign up to have an acting lesson in voice acting in many cases with colleagues of mine who are well-known in anime circles. They have set up these online courses that cater specifically to voice acting for anime. It is well worth your while to investigate those, learn more about what's offered, and maybe sign up for one. But I would at least sign up for some other kind of acting class that has nothing to do with anime, that has nothing to do with voice acting, just so that you're going in and you're kind of getting the fundamentals of acting from a different instructor who is coming at it from a different perspective so that you can get a breadth of experience from different experts in the field on what it takes to bring a character to life. That's piece of advice number one, learn to act. And piece of advice number two is go to where the work is. So increasingly now, there are more places you can go to be close to the action. Texas is obviously a huge hotbed between Houston and Dallas. There are a number of studios now that are producing anime in Los Angeles, of course, in New York as well. So if you are really, really passionate about this idea and very serious about it, you're going to want to figure out a way to physically be in these locations so that you're available for auditions. So that will be just a 15-minute car ride to get to an audition as opposed to a three-hour flight. There are only rare circumstances, I think, when you would want to undergo that for the sake of an audition. And just because, too, it's important to the directors who are casting new talent, they want to be able to see you at first. Again, increasingly now, there, there are opportunities to be a part of productions remotely. And so I've gotten to a point where I'm very fortunate that I am able to audition remotely. I can record an audition at home, send it in. If they like it, they like it. I'm cast. If they don't, we're moving on to the next thing. And likewise, I have been able to record sessions remotely, whereby I do not need to physically be in the same city or even state as the studio I'm working with. But that comes, for most people, that comes a little bit later. At the beginning of the process, it's important important for the director to have some physical interaction with you, have you kind of there in the studio with them, at least at first, so they can kind of build a rapport with them. They can kind of see what you're doing. It helps them to be able to talk to you physically in person in the same room, or at least through the glass, so that they can, with their hand gestures and facial expression, give direction. That is really important at first. And once you've built a rapport with a director, and again, for certain characters, if this is a character that shows up through 24 episodes, got the character down pretty well by three or four episodes in, both you and the director understand what's expected of you to deliver for this character, then maybe, just maybe, you can record some of those later episodes remotely and nothing is lost. But at the beginning, it's important, especially when you're establishing a relationship with the director and then a relationship with your character, it's pretty important that you're physically present at the studio. And so that's why it's so important, I think, for actors starting out to be near where the action is, or at least in the same city as one A studio so that they can be available, be around. They'll have a better sense of when auditions are, if they are in the same town as that studio. And just to be present and available with dubcast or simuldubs, directors will almost always need an actor to be around 
every week, one session a week, every week. And so obviously it's going to be a big benefit to you if you are a local actor so that you can be around. If they need to call you in all of a sudden, that's going to be important for them to know that you're there. And so that's one of the key reasons why it's important to have physical proximity to the source of the work. And then finally, after us speaking for this amount of time, I would like to give you an opportunity to promote yourself. Do you have a Facebook page, a Twitter, Instagram, anything that you can disclose to us that would wet our beaks? I'm not super, super active on social, but I do pretty good on Twitter. And so that is for me the social channel where I typically am most active for anime stuff. And I usually do a pretty good job of keeping people up to speed on what's going on in the anime world for me on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at jhickmanmd, J-A-Y-H-I-C-K-M-A-N-M-D, like the doctor. On Twitter, I'll have announcements. I'll join in with whatever hashtag fun is going on. related to anime on any given day. And I really enjoy live tweeting shows either on Toonami or otherwise Netflix doesn't make quite as much sense unless we all agree we're going to jump on at the same time as soon as it becomes available. I love live tweeting the Toonami shows and regularly live tweet Food Wars. And so their uh, final episode of season two comes up quite soon. So I'll be live tweeting that one and then wait and see what happens next. But yeah, whenever I'm in a show, at least on Toonami, I will uh, make it to live tweet. So I love interacting with people on Twitter during those 30 minute or 60 minute time slots. Well, first off, I would like to thank Jay Hickman for being on because this has been an amazing interview and I love many of the roles you have been in. And as always, everybody, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on the bird, that is Twitter, at popanimecomics. Like my Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics. You never know when a live interview will pop up, and you don't want to miss that. As well as you can follow me on Instagram, at popanimecomics. You can check out my shirt at prowrestlingtees.com under Pop Anime Comics. Not going to tell you what's on that shirt. You're going to have to go find out for yourself. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.